Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show as we come on beginning our week here Thursday on our Thursday edition. Me and Jack will be updating you on all the information. We have a couple good guests coming in. We're live right now on Roku TV, YouTube, and Facebook. Uh, I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, legendary boxing writer, six-term president of the Boxing Writers Association of America and a bunch of other awards and and things we can throw his way, uh, Jack Hirsch. Good morning, Jack. Right. I look forward to the day, Mac, like if we retire like our shirts or something, the Mac and Jack show has like a retirement ceremony. Hopefully we get so big. You know, I'd like to have something retired, maybe my glasses. I don't know. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. I'll never retire my hat, though, Jack. I'll be. Yeah, hat would be the first thing to be retired. It probably I mean, should absolutely. Be. It probably should be. So, folks, we got a lot of sports. Of course, like I said, we've been off since Sunday. A lot of big stories happening. Again, we have two guests coming in uh, today. Of course, this is not the This Week in Sports Show. This is the Mac and Jack Sports Show uh, Thursday edition. We'll be having Carter B coming in with the NHL update update the standings the games and some big moves at the trade by some local teams we'll talk to them about uh later on in the show folks we have evan corn coming in from top rank boxing promotions at Pit, uh, public relations executive over there we'll be talking to him about top rank the, the world of promotions uh maybe working with bob we'll, we'll get into a lot of things uh, with Evan while we have him on. Bob Aram, that is. Yes. I know you, you know all these guys, Mac. They're like buddies of yours. You say, I'm working with Bob. It's Bob Aram, the listener. Right. You know, you got to clarify it. Right. Even though you're I, very informal with these guys, you know, you got to allow the listeners to keep up. That's true. It's true. I should let everybody know. I figure everybody's a boxing fan. If you don't know Bob Aram from top rank, then you don't know anything about boxing. But anyway, folks, so... You know, what's interesting to me, Jack, right, we all know that politics and sports a lot of times intertwine, and New York had the toughest restrictions on their COVID, and if you didn't get a shot, can't play at any private business, you know, and and the mask update, a mandate, you had to wear a mask. Well, the mayor of New York City decided to change the COVID policies just in time, believe it or not, for the beginning of the Major League Baseball season. Now, and the beginning of the NBA postseason. Yes, yes. And you could even say the beginning of the NHL postseason that the Rangers are heavily involved in. So we all know politics is about two things, Jack, votes and money, right? And if mayor, the mayor of New York City decided to keep these restrictions in place, I would think there would be a lot of votes, a lot of people that may not want to back an office. And I'm not going to say this is true because I don't know. I got some sources somewhere. But teams have been negotiating franchises with the New York City mayor. Now, I'm not saying they're making donations or they're not – uh, or they are making donations. I don't know. I'm just kind of assuming certain things. So Mayor Green comes back on his word, and now the Yankees and Mets. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams. Yes. New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Right. And now 
the Yankees and the Mets can play at home and not worry about whether their players are vaccinated or not, Jack. So if Aaron Judge and the Yankees get their stuff together, I think there's a few more Yankees, too, that aren't uh, vaccinated. 15% of the Mets weren't vaccinated. I don't know if we even know their names. I have a couple of guesses, but I'm not going to even say it. So here we go. Opening day, Yankee Stadium, Mets Stadium. We got baseball with our stars, Jack. The part about votes, that's a complete non-factor because New York City Mayor Eric Adams, he just got elected last November. So there's not going to be another election in close to four years. So I don't think that's a concern. But, you know, you're human. You sometimes get a little public pressure. And it was maybe the hypocrisy of the situation because we got to the point where fans were allowed to attend the games and sit next to one another, yet players weren't, okay? And so players were allowed to be in the stands, but they weren't allowed to be in the court. They weren't allowed to be in the locker room. So it's a very vague situation. And also a lot of the nonsense would go on. Free Kyrie, people would be yelling outside the Barclays Center, like Kyrie Irving is a symbol. He's a symbol of himself, basically. You know, Kyrie Irving never said why he didn't want to get vaccinated. If he had to think that he didn't want something put into his body, I can understand that. But he never quite said that. He kind of indicated he wanted to be a spokesperson for the people who didn't want to get vaccinated. They needed a voice. So he wanted to be the voice. But meanwhile, he was, you know, sitting out. And listen, I respect someone if they don't want to get vaccinated and it only affects them, basically. But uh, Ky- but Kyrie Irving, look, if you didn't want to get vaccinated, you don't play. It's that simple. No complaints from my end. You don't want to get vaccinated, you're out. But you know, it's pretty simple. If you want to play, you have to get vaccinated. Those are the rules. He had a choice to make. He chose not to. And the thing with Aaron Judge, that may have turned into a problem if the season began. Maybe he would have relented and gotten vaccinated. Maybe he wouldn't have. A lot of people in that situation in their jobs, a lot of people don't want to get vaccinated for whatever reason, but they ultimately do get vaccinated. It could be family considerations, it could be job considerations or whatever else. But, uh, you know, they have choices to make. But I'm kind of glad we're putting that kind of behind us with the Nets. But you want to know something? Chances are the Nets are going to be in the play-in, Mac. They are going to be in the play-in. And there's a possibility they're going to have to meet the Toronto Raptors in Toronto and their COVID restrictions on place. So what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving? He's not going to be allowed to play. And that's a one game, one and done situation. So they could lose to the Raptors. And this all might not matter as far as he goes, them waiving, you know, the requirements. That's a great point, Jack. And and you know something, you know, we saw Kyrie play with Durant and they still lost. So, I mean, they still got a lot of work to do. Over 70 points that they combined to score yesterday. And they were beaten soundly by the Memphis Grizzlies who don't have Jay Morant. I just want to say one thing. Kevin Durant was talking about the other day 
And the way I liked what he said and the way I didn't, he said, well, our championship window goes beyond this year. You know, it extends into next year. He's more or less saying, well, if we don't win it this year, you know, we can win it next year. I don't want to say he's throwing in the towel, but he's being a realist. Even with Kyrie Irving and then everything, it doesn't look good for the Nets. No. Kyrie Irving could be at his best, you know, on the court, and Durant could be at his best, which was kind of in a way like the case last night. And they could still be beaten. They're far oh, yeah. from being a super team, even when both guys are playing well. They don't play defense at all, Jack. David Guyette asked, are fans who are not vaccinated allowed to attend home games in New York? From what I read, yes, you are. So you can put your cards away. From what I read, you don't have to wear a mask. That all that is. It's easy to circumvent the system with the cards and to, you know, like people use fake ID, this and that. Because there's so many people, Mac, who are coming into the game at once. It's hard for the ushers to keep track and be meticulous. You could catch some people now and then, but some are going to find a way to get through as well. Yes, and yes, uh, David, right now, Canada's got them stringent things. So, um, you know, if the Rangers, say, go to play a, a, a team in Canada and they have players that aren't vaccinated, they can't play. So, And that's another thing we don't, we don't look at is the NHL, Jack, right? Because, you know, the Rangers are up in – they're, they're, they're going to the playoffs. I, I don't think there's any doubt the Rangers make the playoffs this year. And that was that was a mandate in New York, too. So the Rangers, the Nets, who will get a playoff, you know, a play-in, and then the uh, Mets and the Yankees all now are in line to play their sport without worrying about not playing because of vaccination or mask or any of that stuff. So that's good news for New York. I'm glad New York kind of. Well, you know, you kind of wonder the Aaron judge contract negotiations, would it have been affected if according to him, he said he wasn't going to negotiate once the season started. But of course, if you're given the right offer, you do, you know, take it if it's what you like to have. And it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a confusing situation. You, you know what it is if someone isn't vaccinated and they're not allowed to play because of the restrictions? It's basically the equivalent as if they were injured and they were kept out. You know, the team judges the value. But with a star player like a Kyrie Irving, the Nets are going to put up with a lot. They're going to wait it out. And that's apparently, you know, what happened. They were waiting for the mandate to get lifted. It took longer than they thought, but eventually it did. And now it's before the playoffs and it gives them a little more hope. Unfortunately for the Nets, it took so long to lift it. They're not going to be a playoff team. They're going to be a play in team, which yeah. they have to play the one and done game, which is a risky proposition. I agree. I agree, Jack. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about March Madness. That didn't happen yet because they're playing today. Um, Really interesting uh, uh, stuff to me over there uh, with March Madness. You got four games today, Jack, if I'm not mistaken. And let me see if I can find the uh, the games. I know Gonzaga's playing. I know uh, Duke is playing. Let me get there. Here we go. So you've got Gonzaga at Arkansas. You got Michigan at Villanova. 
You've got um, Texas Tech at Duke, Houston at Arizona. So some good games coming up uh, today. They're both on CBS and TBS. Um, you know, I don't know. Gonzaga had a little bit of a scare, but that happens, you know, during a tournament. Um, Villanova seems to be playing well. Of course, you got the story uh, with Coach K and Duke. And, uh, you know, Houston in Arizona. Houston's playing really well. So um, any thoughts on today's games, Jack? I, I think there's storylines and there's sentimental favorites. I think most eyes on Duke because it could be Coach K's last game, any game. And you kind of want to see them keep it going. Uh, and then, of course, you have the Gonzaga story. Is Gonzaga finally going to win the tournament? You know, they never have. Every year, things seem to be knocking on the door. And you can take nothing for granted. If you don't knock the door down, eventually, you know, you won't even get near the door. Your program is going to go backwards. And, of course, uh, you know, with Michigan pl playing Villanova, I mean, Jay Wright's a great coach at Villanova. But you have the Jawan Howard situation. Wouldn't that be something if Michigan wins the NCAA tournament after he got suspended the five games? Who would have like guessed it at the time? And right. uh, and then you got the teams that slip a little under the radar. We know Arizona is very good, and they're playing a Houston team that's an underdog. And uh, so you got some nice storylines. But I think the Duke game, you know, with Coach K kind of takes center stage, you know, more so than the other games. You know, you talked about Ron Howard there, the coach of Michigan. And it was interesting uh, when they won their last game and one of the players came up and, you know, he was upset. And he actually embraced the player. And the kid was crying right on the shoulder. So it showed another side of the Michigan coach that's not just a, a – I don't think so, Mac. I think we make too much out of that. What was Jawan Howard supposed to do, push the kid off him? Well, I'm I mean, just saying – The kid gave a crying <laughs> shoulder. He just, you know, held the kid away. Listen, if I'm coaching that kid, I'll be honest about it, I would be a little hurt that one of my players is leaning and crying on another coach – unless he's had a past relationship with the coach in some way, I knew him somehow through an AAU tournament or whatever, you know, it's not the best feeling that one of your players is embracing another coach and that. not you. I get that. But I also think Jack, that it does show a different side. He didn't have to do that. I mean, he could have just shook his hand and kind of patted him on the back. Um, you know, to kind of embrace the kid showed a little bit more caring than he really had to. And I do agree with you. I would be a little hurt as a coach, too, if you're crying to another coach. Well, I'm glad about that picture because I don't know Juwan Howard. He strikes me as being a good guy who once in a while gets a bit too emotional. You know, he made a mistake last time out, but he has a good reputation from his time in college and around the NBA. And you don't want to see a tarnished. So if the image of the kid crying on his shoulder and him looking compassionate helps take away a little bit of that unfortunate incident when he reached over to hit another coach, which was horrible, which was mm -hmm. a horrible thing he did, but was kind of out of maybe out of character, then then I think it's a good thing that image, you know, like you said, you know, could ease. I'm going to sting from that last event. 
The real Cinderella team left, Jack, is St. Peter's. St. Peter's is the real Cinderella team of this tournament, uh, the small school from New Jersey, who is, uh, you know, they're beating some of the teams that nobody thought they'd beat. And, of course, you remember Jim Jeffco giving us our the insight and the analysis that they're Jersey kids, so they're street tough, and that's why they're 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 in the, the tournament. Well, you never know. You know, a Cinderella team comes up, and maybe they're not such a Cinderella team after all. Remember, Butler went to the finals two years in a row, but when Butler first emerged, they were considered the Cinderella team. So we'll see what type of program St. Peter's has. Maybe this run helps their program. It helps recruiting. You know, yeah. and maybe they get a marquee player, you know, down the line. But uh, but listen, no one will forget what they did in this tournament. No. And, and you know, it's too bad because I think the coaches are ready, ready to leave to another team because of the job he's done there. And that kind of that's kind of that kind of stinks for for the players and the and, and the, or, you know, the, uh, the, the school itself. But, uh, you know, I mean. You well, know. you know what it is? These coaches are always looking to advance sure. themselves from a smaller school that makes the NCAA tournament. Look, years ago, Rick Pitino coached Providence to the Final Four. And then he moved on job to job, Louisville, Kentucky, the Knicks, the Celtics. Now he's at Iona. And then, you know, when everything is done, he said Providence was my dream job that he wished he'd stayed there his whole career. Yeah. That was his dream job. So sometimes these guys actually have their dream job. They have the best job they could possibly have, but they keep searching for something bigger all the time. It doesn't really get them happiness in the long run. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, listen, I mean, everybody wants to advance, especially when you're younger, right? You want bigger challenges. You want to try different things. And I think that's everybody. So, uh I can't blame them for that. I can't blame any coach that wants to try to get better. Um, but some of the coaches, they reach a point, Coach K and others, you know, uh, 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 you know, the UCLA coach that was there for years. Um, you know, these these guys, these guys reach a point and they're happy staying there. So I listen, good, good luck to the same people. You have to coach. resist temptation. I mean, Coach K could have had the late head coaching sure. job. Kobe Bryant was advocating for Coach K, trying to talk him into it. He could have left Duke at various times. So sometimes you're at a school, you're at college, you're with a program, you're comfortable there, they revere you there. But the temptation to go elsewhere is so, so great that you wind up leaving. And it's usually a mistake. Imagine Coach K went to the Lakers. Yeah, they probably would have won an NBA championship, but it wouldn't. But the ride would have been more bumpy. He wouldn't have had the control he had at Duke. And, you know, coach is lucky if he can be somewhere for a lifetime. But part of it, too, Mac, you have to uproot your family there and be happy to live there. Because if you're a coach, you don't have, you don't have much time to do anything but work. Okay, maybe you have two, three weeks a year to go on vacation somewhere. Take Jimmy Bainheim, you know, the coach of Syracuse. He's been there 36 years. His family has to like the Syracuse community. Okay. Know. Let's say he was offered a job in Miami, you know, warmer weather, glamour city or whatever. 
would he have been tempted to leave Syracuse to go to Miami? And chances are he could have had something like that. But you, yourself and your family have to be happy with the community you're in. And I think that's a key thing. And a lot of times that's not the case. Sometimes families welcome the chance to move to a big city, a warm weather climate. So a lot of different factors go into it. You know, you know, and Jack, I think a lot of coaches are, don't understand the difference between bigger schools and moving up to professionals. We've seen a lot of uh, a lot of coaches that moved up to bigger schools uh, fail or move up to another level fail because it's just not the same. It's not the whole. It's the, it's the whole thing that goes along with a big university compared to a small college. I mean, the people, the the recruiting, uh, you, you could go on and on. And it's just, it could be overwhelming to some of these guys who are really good coaches, uh, really down deep. They're good coaches. It's just the, the place they're in right now is just so overwhelming they can't deal with it. And I think that happens to a lot of them. Well, I think it's a question of culture. When, they, when you've been at one place so long, there's a certain culture, and you're used to everyone acting a certain way to school. Or it could even be in the professional ranks and organization being a certain way. And then you go elsewhere and you're really surprised about the culture and you have to adjust. Listen, even take the New York baseball teams when the Mets were all rowdy in the 1980s. Darryl Strawberry was looking to fight a whole bunch of guys on the Mets. He was out of control when he was a star. Then he comes to the New York Yankees in the 1990s. And the Yankees had a solid culture, and he was a great citizen. He knew I'd better adapt to this because no one's going to put up with any of the nonsense, any of the rowdiness. This is very professional. So, you know, you change, you adjust, you know, to whatever the culture is. No doubt. No doubt, Jack. So it's 2.22 after the hour, and we're going to start this, and hopefully Carter pops it. Or the good old hockey game. I forget who does that. It's been done like the hockey song has been done for like, I don't know, five different versions from country to folk. And we got a little punk in there too, which is my favorite version of it. So, Jack, as we go through the NHL, we're getting close to the end of the season. The trade deadline has uh, come and gone. And we'll give a little update of the standings and some of the scores uh, in Atlantic. Division. We have the Panthers in first at 42 and 14. Toronto is set in second at 40 and 18. Tampa Bay at 39 and 17. And Boston at 39 and 19. In the Metropolitan Division, you have the Hurricanes at 42 and 15. The Penguins at 39 and 16. The Rangers at 40 and 19. And the Capitals at 35 and 20. In the Central, Avalanche, 42 and 15. Uh, they're in, there's no doubt they're not they're in the playoffs. Blues 35 and 18, the Wild at 37 and 20, the Predators at 37 and 23, and in the Pacific Division you have the Flames at 38 and 17, the Kings quietly moving up in second at 35 and 22, 
The Oilers at 35 and 24, and the Knights uh, in fourth place right now at 34 and 28. So that's the update on your on the standings. There's only like four games last night, Jack. Yeah, Toronto beat New Jersey three to two. The Sabers four. The Penguins three. The Canucks three. The Avalanche one. And Chicago four. The Ducks two. You know, it's funny about you mentioned the games yesterday. One of them, the Maple Leafs beat the Devils uh, 3-2. And it was 2-2 with less than five minutes to go. And the Devils have a power play advantage, a one-man advantage. Yet the Maple Leafs score on them. And I kind of like that because too often in hockey, we see teams that are down one man on the power play get very conservative when they have an opening rather than the skater take the puck to the net and try to score himself. They worry that if they don't score, they're going to be, the player's going to be all the way down the ice and then there could be a fast break and there could be a two man advantage for the other team. But when you have that opening, go for it. And that's what happened with Pierre Angbel yesterday with the Maple Leafs. He had the opening and he scored on the power play. Uh, one one man down, one man short. And that was the difference in the Maple Leafs. 3-2 went over the Devils. You know, I kind of wonder about this Devil franchise, Mac. I know they're rebuilding, but you don't want a team rebuilding forever. You <laughs> wonder what kind of progress they're making. I mean, I heard the Devil own on an interview some weeks back talking about, oh, you got to be patient, do, thing to, do things the right way. But the Devils, to me, despite how much I love their jerseys, their jerseys look really nice. I like them a lot. They're the least charismatic team in all the NHL. If I had to tell you the most charismatic team and the least charismatic team, I don't know off the top of my head who I would say would be the most charismatic team. That's something we would have to debate, talk about. That might be a good question for the debate show. I don't know. Most charismatic team in each sport. But in hockey, the least charismatic team, is there less charismatic team than the New Jersey Devils? I mean, something about them that just, like, I don't see the progress. They, you know, draft some decent young players. But the team always seems to be flat. I mean, I don't think they've won three in a row all year. Yeah, yeah, Jack. They, I, I don't know what happens to some organizations, too. It seems like the organizations get stuck. I don't want to say stuck and stupid, but they, they, they continue to do the same things over and over again that don't work. And it, it's in all sports. New Jersey, you know, once had a really great team, like other, other squads did. And I don't know, man. Well, you want about, about fan bases, Mac? Uh, like you take the local teams in New York, the Rangers have been around forever. They've got the greatest fan base. They play in the greatest arena, Madison Square Garden. And you have to consider the young people that are Ranger fans. They grew up Ranger fans because their fathers, grandfathers were Ranger fans. So they kind of like adopted them in, uh, I mean, that's why the Rangers have always had a foothold, but I think that's the way it is in sports in general. In New York, as much as the Jets have a good fan base, the Giant fan base has been in business longer. 
sure, you sure. Know something about it. Yankees have been in business longer than the Mets. I think that has to do with it. I think people, uh, they grow into a fan base. Like I said, because their father, grandfather, they grow up a certain way rooting for a team. They keep passing it down to the next generation. And that's not to say that the other teams will outdraw the older organization like the Mets have done when they were good. The Islanders have done when they are good. I mean, they do get excitable, but you're right. I mean, there are, there are traditions, there's traditions uh, within families, you know, that, that this is your right. Yeah, you know, you know what I noticed too with hockey? I mean, certain deals were made right before the trade deadline. The Rangers got a pretty good forward from the uh, Winnipeg Jets, Andrew Kopp. And yeah. Andrew Kopp is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. That means at the end of the season, he might be gone. He's basically a rental, a short-term rental for the Rangers. And the Rangers gave up some draft picks for him to Winnipeg. Now, he wasn't going to resign with Winnipeg, so it was a good deal for Winnipeg because he wasn't going to resign with them. And with the Rangers, it all depends how they do in the postseason, whether it's a good deal or not, because the Rangers GM, Chris Drury, did give up some, you know, good draft capital for him. So, which in a way you like if you're a Ranger fan, because they're going for it this year. They're trying to win the cup this year. And I think that sends out a positive message, not only to your fan base, but to, to your team, that you're adding a player that could impact your team in a very positive way as you move forward to try to win the cup. Now, the Rangers have been winning a lot, a lot of close games this year, and everyone says it's because of great goaltending. But whatever the reason is, you know, they, they're adding another piece now, and they're making a serious run, you know, for the Stanley Cup. So it'll be interesting to see how they do in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, and not only that, they picked up Justin Brown, uh, a real good one from Philly who who was – experience so they got a little deeper too jack and that you know when you're going to go into the playoffs you want to have a deep bench uh you you mess you mentioned cop they also picked up tyler mode so another uh in fact here comes carter just in time as we'll start going over in him. time we've been talking hockey a while what do you mean in time carter's come late to class here does he you have know, a pass? Carter, carter was supposed oh, to you gotta show us a pass 8 30. Carter was scheduled. For oh, okay, Mac. You started it early. You can't start it before Carter you know, gets there. It's on you, Mac. And you know why Carter I do? Because here on time. You know I, I tell you the reason why I do, Jack, because we kind of give our thoughts a little bit about what's going on, and then we get the real story with Carter as he goes over uh, some of the information that you know we're we're touching on right now. Because we're not going to go in depth as Carter can go. So, Carter, I went through the standings, and. The, the surprise, I don't know if it's a surprise or not to me, but there's one quiet team that kind of moved up into second place, and nobody's really talking about them too, uh, too much, and that's the Kings, Carter. I mean, they, they, they're they quietly putting together a really good season. Though nobody's saying, oh, well, I'd watch out for the Kings or, or anything like that. But right now, according to what I got, um, the Kings are in second place behind the Flames at 35 and 22. So, on your knowledge of the Kings, I don't have a lot, Carter. Uh, what's going on over there? Is is it 
is it are they for real are they uh is this like a, a one-year wonder is it is it something they're going to build on what are your what are your thoughts on the on the kinks um i mean i i think it's uh you know i think it's a little bit of uh you, you know they have some veterans from their core uh guys like kopitar dowdy the guys who were there they were uh you know winning the stanley cups in the mid 2010s and um, you know, they, they definitely have a lot of young talent coming up too. guys like, uh, like Quinton Byfield, uh, you know, contributing in the lineup every night. So, um, you know, I, I think they're finally getting to where they want to be in terms of their rebuild. They're finally back to being a, uh, playoff contender again. And, um, you know, granted the Pacific isn't exactly the, uh, the greatest division. So I think they're, um, you know, maybe they're uh, they they'd be a little bit lower if they were in any other division. But um, you know, I don't think you can discredit the season LA's having. They're having a good year, and um, you know, I, I still think it's Calgary's division to lose at this point in the year, personally. But uh, I don't know. I feel like LA could be one of those sleeper teams that I don't know if they'd necessarily make it to the final, but I feel like they could make some noise in the playoffs if they uh, you know if they play their cards right. Yeah, I mean, I listen. I I'm for any team that that hasn't been there in a while. I mean, we saw what happened with the, you know, the Canadians yesterday, yeah, you know, last year. So I mean, anything can happen, as as you always say in the playoffs. It's just interesting to me that I'm not really hearing a lot about them. I'm, you know, you hear about all you hear about Calgary, you hear about you know all these teams that are in second, third places, but the Kings are Kings are not a big story as far as uh, about hockey news in the National Hockey. And it was just good. It's good to see another team up there battling, and you know. Who knows? You mentioned Carter with winning the division. Every team wants to win their division. But when all is said and done, who really remembers it after the Stanley Cup is over? And it doesn't, you know, mean a, mean a great deal. I mean, I, I hate to say it. it. It's a source of pride, I know, to the players the moment it happens. But the disappointment of getting bumped in the playoffs you know, overrides all that when all is said and done. Which brings me to the next question. How many teams are going to be resting their players and just easing off a little bit to get ready for the playoffs, even though it might cost them the division? How important would it be to them? Uh, I, I don't really think winning the division is that important. I think, um, I think it's more just, you know, finishing in the top two, which means you get home ice in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs in the first round. So, um, I mean, you know, if you're like Colorado and you have a good 15 or 20 point lead in your division, then yeah, you can rest all your players. But, um, you know, I, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I don't know how many, how many teams are going to really opt to do that. I mean, um, you know, especially, uh, especially in the Western conference down low, like near the wild card race. I mean, that's, that's still up for grabs. I mean, that could go into the final, you know, couple days of the season. Right. So, um, you know, uh, I, I think it's just going to be kind of a wait and see type of approach. And um, we'll uh, we'll kind of go from there and see, you you know, see who rests players and who doesn't. A lot of teams do. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of these these uh, top teams, you know, resting some of their stars before the playoffs. Now, Claude, of all the teams in the playoffs, if you had to say one that couldn't afford to get eliminated in the first round because it'll turn their fan base upside down in the ugliest way possible, would that be that maybe the Toronto Maple Leafs of all the teams that are going to be in the playoffs, they can least afford to get bumped immediately. Would that be accurate to say? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I, I think with, uh, 
you know, with the way last year's series went against, um, you know, against the Canadians, I mean, uh, you know, if you lose in the first round again with this core, I think you definitely have to, you got to shake things up in the off season. I mean, it, it, it's clearly, you know, it's not working. Um, something's not clicking there. I mean, um, but, uh, I don't know. I don't know what that move is. I don't know if you go ahead and maybe, you know, look for a new GM or a new coach, or if you decide to trade one of your core pieces on your team, but, um, yeah, if you, if you're the Leafs and you know, and you know, I don't really care who you play. I mean, if you don't get out of the first round this year, there has to be some some changes in that market. Speaking well, we of that, um, sorry, Matt. Uh, we were, just, we were, go ahead. Just, sorry, I kept going. We were talking about uh, teams resting players, and you got some teams that have been, you know, the the dominating teams in the divisions in the past: the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Knights, the Golden Knights. I mean, they're in dogfights right now for position, Carter. So, you know, I don't think they would be resting their players uh, come near to the end of the season unless they get in a heck of a winning streak. So maybe in the in in last couple of years, they could afford to do that. This year, they're kind of in dogfights over there in their divisions. Yeah, I, I was pointing that out before. I mean, um, I really don't see teams resting their players unless it's – like a like a like an avalanche situation, right? Where you have a good, right. you know, maybe double digit lead on on your uh, on your opponents, but um, you know, I don't see teams like Vegas resting any of their players. Uh, you know, come uh, come trade deadline time and uh, not trade deadline uh, end of the season. Um, I I don't even think they're completely healthy right now. I mean, they're still missing Alec Martinez on the blue line. They're missing Mark Stone. Um, so uh, to you know. To, to properly um, get their lineup together and get ready for a playoff push. But, um, you know, if there's one thing that we've learned from the Golden Knights over the last couple of years, it's to, you know, never count them out too early. So we'll, we'll wait and see what happens here. Uh, were you surprised the Islanders basically held serve at the trading deadline? And, you know, and, te- and it, they're going to regard this as just an off year and they're coming back with the same core and they're going to run it again. Were you happy with that, or would you have liked to have seen them make any any moves? Um, I don't know. I mean, they 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 don't have a ton of pieces that they would have sold off and gotten a lot of you know a lot back for. I mean, um, you know, you, you could have traded a few guys here and there to get you know fifth, sixth, seventh round picks, but um, I don't know. I mean. I don't want to see the same core back next year. I think you got to make some changes uh, specifically on the blue line. Um, but uh, I don't know. I I, I think it's definitely, uh, you know, I, I know some people are disappointed that they didn't make any moves, but at the same time, you know, if they're not going to get a ton back anyway, I'd rather them just, you know, kind of keep the core together, run the season out, and then decide what you're going to do in the offseason. Yeah, yeah, really, it really wouldn't matter, Carter. Right? You make all these moves and – and, and you're not going to get nothing in return. Like you said, I mean, you know, you, you resign Paris and, and Chutterbuck back. And, I mean, what are you going to really get for, you know, for those two players to make a run? I mean, you're not – you're so far away from the possibility of even getting in a wild card spot. Why would you Why would you venture out there and, and break up a core? I agree with you 100%. I mean, you're, you're at a place right now in Islanders. You just got to look forward to next year, make some offseason – uh, moves if 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 you want to get a little bit younger or maybe a little bit more uh, a little bit more depth over there, but this year that would have been crazy to see them do anything like that. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. I like you could have moved a few guys to get like minimal minimal assets, but um, I don't know. I mean, if you if you don't have like somebody who's going to get you at least the at least the first round pick back, I mean, you know, this this team is one of the older rosters in the league. They need young talent, so um. I mean, granted, you know, you can definitely hit a hit a gem in, you know, some of the later rounds, but it's very rare, right? So um yeah, I mean I'm I'm sort of indifferent to it at this point. So uh, you know, I I guess I guess management feels confident in this core to kind of run the season out and um, you know, we'll uh we'll we'll see. Well you know, management is Lou Lamorello. That's management. Uh and Lou Lamorello has had a history of not hesitating to change coaches, and we're talking about coaches who've been successful, is Barry Trotz, the Islander head coach, immune from all that because of the respect he has around the league? Or would you be completely stunned if in the offseason he moved on from Barry Trotz, wanted a younger coach maybe, you know, with a little more so-called enthusiasm, even though I think Barry Trotz does have a lot of enthusiasm, but a younger guy. Uh, no, he's not getting fired. Not happening. You can't see it. So, so let's talk a little bit about the other teams. Me and Jack started talking a little bit about the trades. Boston's playing pretty good uh, uh, hockey right now, and uh, they pick up they pick up Hamptus Hamptus Lindholm and Josh Brown. Uh, kind of uh, a move to add depth to Boston. Cardio is is Boston. A threat right now. I I think that they're playing really good hockey now. I don't know if they could beat Tampa Bay or some of the bigger teams, but as you said, you get in a series, anything could happen. So Boston, I think, really turned things around this year. They made a couple nice moves. What do you think about the moves they made? Uh yeah, I I, I like it personally. I think Lindholm was a big addition to their blue line that they really needed to, you know, to kind of beef up their top four. And um, you know, outside of that, I mean, I. Uh, you know, I, I like the uh, their forward core that they have right now. I mean, the Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak line is one of the best in all of hockey. So, um, you know, personally, I'm 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 a I'm a fan of this Bruins team. I don't know if I necessarily see them, you know, getting anywhere past like the the uh, sorry the uh, second round of the playoffs. But um, you know, they're, they're kind of like the Kings. I mean, if they play their cards right, you know, they might be going against a, an opponent that. Uh, you know, that a lot of people see them losing to, but, um, you know, again, if they, if they kind of play their cards, right, play their matchup well, I think they could, you know, they could, uh, um, uh, surprise the people come, uh, come playoff time. You know, Carter, rarity happened. The NHL canceled the trade at the trade deadline, uh, when Las Vegas traded Evgeny, that, 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 that enough. Okay. To the Anaheim, because he had a limited no-trade clause. I mean, isn't that obvious what a guy's no-trade clause is? Isn't that a little arrogant on the team's part, just trading a guy? It shouldn't be that hard to figure out, you know, who he's allowed to be traded to, who he isn't. Maybe they uh, think Anaheim is such an appealing city that he's not going to complain. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never seen anything like this happen. Um but uh, you know, if I'm Vegas, I definitely would have done my my due diligence if I knew that you know uh, that he had a uh, at least a limited no trade clause. I mean, you, you could have called Ottawa the team that you got him from and just you know kind of um, kind of poked around to see if anything was there. But uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I was definitely surprised to see, um, you know, to to see the way that it went down, and um, you know, I mean, uh, it, it would have been big for them because they would have pushed a good amount of money off their off their salary cap to be able to activate uh, Patch, not Patch already, um, uh, Stone and uh, Martinez when the time comes. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, for uh, for Vegas, you kind of just got to play this one out at this point and. Well, what about uh, I, the player? He's still with Vegas now, right? He's still with Vegas, yeah. So what, I mean, what did they do with him? Did they play him? And what? How? what's his level of enthusiasm? How do you find yeah. the team concept? They tried to get rid of you a little while ago, and now you're back. It's like you were fired, but then you're sent back to the office because the office is then told they're not allowed to fire you. Yeah. They're not going to come back to be, oh, I'm going to be a team player. I'm going to do this, do that. You know, it's... Not good for team chemistry, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely be uh you know be reluctant to go back if I were him, but uh, I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, I, uh, I I I believe they play tonight, so uh, you know, I mean, we'll we'll have to wait and see what Dadanov decides to do. But uh, yeah, I don't know. This is definitely a unique situation that uh, you know that I haven't seen a ton of before. Yeah, some feelings hurt over there. So let's talk about your favorite team, the Rangers. They made a few moves. Uh, you know, they they got. Uh, let me see if I got them right here. Um, I think Josh Brown. Am I saying it right now? That's that's Boston. I see. I'm I'm so excited about the Ranger moves here. Justin you mean Brown, Andrew Cop. Justin Brown, Andrew Cop, uh, and they picked up one more guy too here. I want to make sure I get the name right because you know me and names don't get around to get along too good. Uh, Tyler Mote, uh, three players the Rangers added depth to their to their squad with. Uh, is is are these good moves for the Rangers uh, to add at this time? I imagine they're going to push for the playoffs. They want some depth. Um, you know, is this a move? If if you were a Rangers fan right now, would you be happy with the moves they just made? Um, I'd I'd say so personally. I think uh, I think other people were kind of hoping that they'd go you know, a little more heavy in terms of buying, but, um, I, uh, I like these moves personally. I think cops going to be a good fit and, uh, what I think would be their top six anyway. I don't think they'd play him on the third line as of right now, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I believe they did during the, uh, the Ranger devil game the other day. So, um, you know, I'm, I, he's a player that could play pretty much anywhere in the lineup, right? I mean, he could play wing, he could play center, he could play on your top line on your fourth line, anywhere you need him to play. Andrew cop will play. So, uh, he's a very good, versatile type player for the Rangers. Really good and... defenseman for forward too, you know, by all reports. Well, uh, sorry, what'd you say? Pop's a very good defender as a forward. You know, he gives a lot to the team that way with his defense. Yeah, I mean, he he's he's kind of been known for that. I mean, he was known for that out in Winnipeg. So, um, you know, I, I don't see why he wouldn't do that in New York and. Uh, he played pretty well the other day. I think he got either one or two assists, uh, you know, in that loss to New Jersey. So, um, you know, I mean, outside of that, though, it's pretty much depth moves, right? I mean, um, you know, Justin Braun's going to provide some physicality on the blue line. Uh, I mean, Tyler Mott's going to be a good penalty killer, good shot blocker that, uh, you know, can play on your fourth line, provide some physicality. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I think I'm happy with it if I'm a Ranger fan. I mean, Again, people are a little more indifferent in terms of, you know, what they would have and maybe should have bought at the trade deadline. But 
um, you know, th- this team's still fairly young. I mean, you, you're going to have a lot of time to buy down the road. So, um, you know, I think the Rangers did the right amount of buying here and we'll, uh, we'll see where it goes come playoff time. Yeah. Depth is very important to hockey on any team. So, you know, that, that little experience they got depth now, I think, I think will help them out somewhat, uh, whether it was just killing minutes or whatever, it, it will, it will help them out down the line. Carter, again, we thank you for coming in, providing us with a lot of information stuff. And in fact, now I know it's not Mote, it's Mott. So that's one thing you just, you just taught me today. So um, I have terrible time with the names. I don't know how you guys do it. I don't, I mean, you got to listen to hockey all the time to get these things right. So, uh, but anyway, folks, Carter, Carter be our NHL expert all over hockey knows all about the players, the, the, the games, what they mean. And it's a pleasure having them on every Thursday. Carter, you have a great Great Thursday, and we'll see you next Thursday, Carter. All right, guys. Appreciate it. All the best, Carter. So there you go, folks. Carter B. with hockey analysis like you get nowhere else uh, on any program, bringing you all the hockey information, even when he doesn't like the teams, which is very cool to me. So you can tell he loves hockey. So, folks, we're going to go ahead. We're going to take our first official timeout. We're going to go come back on the other side. There's another couple big stories we haven't got to, uh, especially in the NFL. And we're going to take some time dissecting uh, this huge trade that happened, trade and signing uh, over the last couple of days, which shocked a lot of people. And we'll see what whether Jack agrees with it. I know I don't. So I'm giving you a little tease. I don't agree with it at all. I think it's, uh, it's something that I wouldn't have done. But Uh, We'll talk and discuss it right after these messages, folks. When the job is done, this guy will be ready to dig into something mighty good to eat. How do you handle a hungry man? The man handlers. One of the man handlers is Campbell's Vegetable Beef. Gets a man-sized supper off to a good hot start. Mm, good. The if you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. My baloney has a first name. It's O S C A R. My baloney has a second name. It's M A Y E R. Oh, I love to eat it every day. And if you ask me why, I'll say, cause Oscar Mayer has a way with B O L O G N A. Oscar Mayer, the first name in Bologna. How's that? We all make choices. When it comes to alcohol, kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Bye-bye. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, have a seat for a second. Remind me about that party again. Alex is just... And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. 
Kids want to know our expectations when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. They want guidance and honest answers to their questions. And it makes a difference when the message is consistent and part of everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Tim tell you, Kyle's mother kids got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Come on, it's the first offense, right? That we know of. But why should that matter? He knew not to drink. I've made it clear to Matt, that's what we expect from him. What have you said to Tim? Um, nothing really. You know, a lot of kids try it at this age, so... I... Yeah, well, a lot of kids don't try it, too. I'm not saying that Matt's going to be this perfect kid, but if I don't tell him what we expect and why he shouldn't drink, how's he going to know? You think kids that age really listen? <laughs> they never admit it, Bill, but they hear more than you think. Talk. They hear you. For more information about talking with kids about underage drinking, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, Jack Hirsch, as we delve into all the sports that we have missed the days we've been back. Some of the bigger stories broke just recently. And, uh, you know, I want to go over one of the ones, Jack, that, um, you know, that happened recently. And this, to me, is the probably the biggest trade of the offseason. And I'm saying that because it's not a quarterback, right? We know Deshaun Watson was traded to the Browns for a boatload of picks, big signing. But this is a position player, a wide receiver. Um, Tyreek Hill, surprising a lot of people, leaving the Chiefs to go play with the Miami Dolphins for a $30 million a year. I think it's four four years. Um that he'll be making to become the highest paid receiver in the league, uh, leaving a Kansas City Chief team that has been in the Super Bowl a couple of times and won one and had a great, uh, it seemed like great chemistry with Patrick Mahomes. 
going to the Miami Dolphins for five draft picks, not just that signing. And three of them are this year, Jeff. They're getting a first, second, I think fourth round this year, a couple more the year after that. This kind of reminds me of the Herschel Walker Dallas Cowboy trade, right? Uh, Herschel Walker goes to Minnesota. Minnesota thinks they all they need is a great running back. And Dallas gets a boatload of picks. Three of those picks, Super Bowl champion, Hall of Famers, Aikman, uh, Smith, and Irvin. Now, to me, this is way too much to give up for Tyreek Hill. As great as he is, um, you know, this could – if they don't go to a Super Bowl with Tyreek Hill in the next few years, this this might be the worst deal ever made in the history of the NFL, Jack. I think, Matt, you're a little off base here. It doesn't compare to the Cowboy-Viking deal. There were a bunch of draft picks and players involved, high draft picks. I mean, it sounds when you hear, oh, first-round draft selection – you're giving up a lot. But Miami's first-round pick going to Kansas City is the 29th player overall in the draft, 29th. It's not one of the elite, elite players. And their second-round pick is the 50th overall in the I, draft. I, That's I, what, think, I think, listen, if you get a first-round draft pick at the top 30. But it's number 29. Yeah, Jack, but that this draft is so rich in defense and wide receivers that that uh, Kansas City has just picked up, um, and even the second round, I'll say the top three rounds, four rounds this year, have a lot of great players in there. Okay, so, that, okay, so let's say they're getting a first, second, and a fourth this year and a couple of fourth-round picks the following year. Fourth-round picks traditionally make a team, but they're not penciled in as starters, okay, usually in the beginning, but they could earn their way to a starting position in training camp. Usually a first- to second-round draft choice is going to start. You count on them to start that year in most cases, Third-round draft choice, kind of 50-50. Fourth round, eh, you know, wait and see. Fifth-round yeah. draft choices might not even make the team. Right. 50-50, whether they'll make the team in sixth and seventh, odds against them, but you never, you, you know, you never know. Okay, so basically their first, second, first and second-round draft choices, let's say, would be two starters. And the fourth round draft choice is going to make the team potential start if it helps as a reserve. So you basically it's three players for one of the elite receivers in the NFL and Tyreek Hill. I mean, you're not going to get anyone in the first round nearly as good as Tyreek Hill unless you somehow catch lightning in a bottle. That's highly unlikely. I think that's the type of deal you go for. If you're chasing greatness, you want to be an elite team, you go for it. If they gave up three number ones, I would understand that, you know, going forward. But they didn't do it. They only gave up one number one, the Dolphins. And they gave up a number two. And then in the future, it's number four. So I'm not a – I think the Dolphins did the right thing. Now the Jets, Mac, were in on it. It was like a 50-50 thing. where he was going to go to the Jets offered three number two draft choices. If the Jets wanted him bad enough, I think they should have upped the ante. They they go fourth and 10th in the draft. 
they could have offered the 10th overall pick in the draft, which is better than the 29th, okay? And that would have increased their chances, you know, of getting Tyreek Hill. But they gave an offer that was competitive with what the Dolphins gave, basically the same on balance, okay? You know, as far as value went. But sometimes if you want a guy bad enough, you kind of pull out all the stops. And the Chiefs would have allowed the Jets to talk with Tyreek Hill, sell themselves to him. And the Jets had the room under the cap, so they could have signed Tyreek Hill to the same type of contract the Dolphins did, so the money wouldn't have been an issue there. You know, you kind of wonder could the Jets have pushed a little bit harder, you know, to, to get this done. But Listen, but at the end of the day, it may have been Tyreek Hill's decision and, and as to me, well. Jack, to me, Jack, that would have been a huge mistake by the Jets. You don't get a, a player like that unless you're close. Miami's close. Miami's close to going to the playoffs. Jets aren't close Closer at all. than the Jets. I, yeah, I don't you know, know how close Miami is. They've made but other I, moves as well. well as what do they do? They, they, they finish, the then they finish above 500? Or just below five hundred, Jack. Lattie? They were nine. And, they were nine and eight. Oh, so know, they're close. Yeah, so yeah. they're close. You know, they're close to if they put a few. Uh, well, they didn't make the playoffs, but I, but still, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, so, so why yeah. would you throw away all that capital on Tyreek Hill when you're not even close? To me, that would that's a waste. Okay, let me ex- let me ex- okay. You team Tyreek Hill with uh, Jaden Waddle, uh, the Dolphin rookie receiver who had an outstanding rookie year last year. And you have two elite weapons for Tua, okay? And the Dolphins are counting on Tua to be their franchise quarterback. They're all in on him. They didn't make a bid to try to get to Sean Watson the way some people thought they would. So they're putting their trust in Tua, and they're getting them the two weapons. So this is going to be a real test for Tua because if he can't, you know, have a big leap forward – and being, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL with those type of weapons, and he has a good running game, the Dolphins are then going to reevaluate the quarterback position. They might even reevaluate it during the season because they have Teddy Bridgewater as a backup who's competent to step in if two is struggling. So two is kind of on the clock with this deal. But I'm thinking of Zach Wilson, the Jets' young quarterback, you give him a weapon like Tyreek Hill, that's going to help his development. And this is going to be a big year for Zach Wilson. He can't have the type of year he had last year, Matt. Exactly. All these rookies are given a pass in their first year. But he won't be given a pass next year quite the expect, same way. You can't expect a huge jump just because they get Tyreek Hill. That doesn't mean the Jets are going to win. It just means that uh, he might have a better option to throw to, but that's not going to help the Jets. Well, it helps his development, you know, to have a weapon like Tyree kill there. It changes things. I don't know. I, I don't think you can compare Zach Wilson to like a Joe Burrows. I don't think you can compare a Tua to a, a Patrick Mahomes. I, I, that, those comparisons. I, I, you want to know what I keep telling people? Joe Burrow on a rookie was, as a rookie, uh, the year before last, he's been in the league two years, was with a bad Bengal team, had a terrible offensive line, yet Mm -hmm. Burrow had a good year. He was obviously much better than these other rookie quarterbacks who came out this year. Yeah, I mean, listen. Much better, as did Justin Herbert as a rookie. You got to have a fit. 
You don't just get a guy because he's great. And you say, don't you don't compare it to Herschel Walker. I do. Because they think that what Miami thinks, and you don't forget about Cedric Wilson also from the Dallas Cowboys, is another of his options there. And they got a pretty good tight end. But that doesn't mean the Dolphins are going to win just because they get Tyreek Hill. That doesn't mean that. That means he's got a great option. Can Tua get it to Tyreek Hill? Can he throw like Patrick Mahomes can throw? Tyreek Hill is no longer playing on an Astro, whatever they call it now. It's not Astro turf. It's, it's a fake grass. He's now a natural grass. Is he going to be as fast as he was back on that 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 surface? He's not. Um, is he is is the weather going to affect him uh, more? Play to Miami that heat down there. It might. I mean, you know, to me, Tyreek Hill just said, "Well, the heck with." Uh, uh, playing for championships, I want to go down and make as much money as possible being the highest player. Nothing against Tyreek Hill for doing that. And nothing against Miami for trying to improve their receiving core, which they have unbelievable with those two moves, Adam Wilson and now the great Tyreek Hill. But it's to the type of quarterback that's going to be able to throw the ball long to Tyreek Hill and, 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 and do what Patrick Mahomes says. I don't think he is that type of quarterback, Jack. Well, you know, Tyrex Hill has had a couple of red flags before, so you kind of wonder with his attitude what it's going to be if Tua isn't getting him the ball in the way he's accustomed to getting it from Patrick Mahomes. People don't think about the wide receivers. I mean, what they have to go through, who's throwing them the ball. <clears throat> Quarterback chemistry is so, so important. And after being with Patrick Mahomes, and he was with Alex Smith before Patrick Mahomes, and Alex Smith is a, you know, it's been a good, was a good competent NFL quarterback, okay? Yeah. And now, and then to go to Patrick Mahomes the last few years, and not the tour, if things aren't working out, I know all the money he's getting Tyreek Hill. He's the highest paid wide receiver now in NFL history. And that's why he's going to Miami because it's a money situation. I'm sure he didn't want to leave Kansas City. He's going there for the contract. But at the end of the day, these guys are also competitors, okay? They're human. They're not just there to their credit to pick up a check. They want to win. They want to perform as elite receivers. They want to be stars. They want to be on the big stage. And I, I kind of wonder how it's going to work. And also, it's not just Tua. He's going to have to share receptions with Jaden Waddle. I know with the Chiefs, there was Travis Kelsey. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, Juju Schuster, the Chiefs signed him also. So you kind of wonder what the Chiefs thinking. Look, we got Juju Schuster. We don't know how Tyreek Hill is going to like sharing his receptions now with Juju Schuster, who was an elite receiver with the Steelers who came over to the Chiefs. So maybe they kind of saw, you know, there might be an attitude problem if you keep all these guys together. So maybe we're better off making a deal. You want, you know, those those things factor into it, you know, in some situations. I'm not sure whether it's factored into it in the situation with Tyreek Hill and the Chiefs. Well, Mahomes just restructured his contract because he found out that you need players to win in the National Football. You can't do it by yourself. And now if they're going to sign Tyreek Hill to a, a monster contract, would he restructure? Would he do what he needs to do? I don't know. As you said, maybe there, maybe there's a different type of attitude with Tyreek Hill. I just don't think if the Miami Dolphins don't go to Super Bowl, Jack, 
this is a terrible one of the worst trades in, in football history to me because you put a lot of money in one guy that is not a quarterback he's he doesn't control the, the game he doesn't he doesn't lead the team he makes catches and makes plays yeah but to me it's so much like the Herschel Walker deal Minnesota thought they were one running back away from going to the Super Bowl and Herschel Walker at the time was in the top three running backs in the league catching running. Uh, one of the best, and Minnesota put all their eggs in that basket, and it just didn't work out. So I, I'm pretty. It's going to be interesting to me to see what happens. There was a five-year contract that they gave him. Yeah. I think it was five, not six. I'd yeah, have to yeah, something like that. Look that up. But but the thing about it is, people tend not to look at the back end of the contract when Tyreek Hill is going to be approaching his mid thirties. He's a lightning bolt right now, okay? How is he going to be years, years from now? You know you know that this reminds me of a little bit when the Giants traded Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. to the Cleveland Browns. Odell Beckham Jr. was an, a star then the way Tyreek Hill is now, and it started going downhill. Odell Beckham Jr., maybe it, when all said and done, look, he could say, well, I had a happy ending. I went to the Rams. Caught a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. We won the Super Bowl. I could say I'm a Super Bowl champion. So there's a certain amount of vindication for OBJ. He could always say, look, I won a Super Bowl, you know? So I didn't just fade away. But for the Giants, it turned out to be a good deal. Had they given, well, they gave Odell Beckham Jr. the contract and then traded it. But had he stayed with the Giants all this time, it wasn't going to be a happy situation. I don't think so either, Jack. He would end up leaving eventually anyway. So so that's some big news. But the biggest news to me of the offseason. Some other me, news, Mac. I don't know what you're going to meant to just slip under the radar to you. I got to mention since we're in the NFL. And we're going to discuss this with Keith Engel uh, tomorrow. Short. Yep. Malcolm Butler's back on the yep. Patriots. Yep. Yeah, not two now years. Malcolm Butler's more. back. How do you like that? The guy who didn't yeah. play in the Super Bowl against the Eagles only was in for a few plays, and he left town. They're having a reunion. I guess yeah. Bill Belichick is softened a little bit. You know, Malcolm Butler sat out last year, Mac, for personal reasons. But the year before, he really had a good, good year. So if yeah. this one-year layoff hasn't affected him. The Patriots are getting a re- really good guy at cornerback, you know, a guy who they're very familiar with, a guy who made arguably the biggest single play in Super Bowl history. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a good point. Two years, nine million for that. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. Uh so that's that's I guess good for him, maybe good for the Patriots. That that's it's surprising. At a me. good price, at a good price. Yeah, it's surprised the they paid him. Surprised they they to me they paid him that much. Uh, the Patriots aren't known. Oh, that's not a lot of money. Nine million for Patriots, two years. For the Patriots, guy really help you on a Mac. Come oh, on, no, no, no. this Patriots. isn't a restaurant business where you're selling a guy to a You tell me. You tell me. You tell me. The NFL, the salaries are high. Nine million for two years. I mean, you tell me. You tell me. You tell me. A free agent that the Patriots have signed lately for nine million dollars for two years. Yeah, give me an A. 
It depends, Matt. It, it, depends. it ain't. I'm just telling you, that's not the Patriots' way, Jack. They don't do that. They don't do sightings well, like that. Last season, they went into the free agent market, but you know things haven't worked out. Uh, no two years, nine quick. million, Jack. The Patriots don't do that stuff. That was that was that's that's what surprised me. What didn't surprise me? Butler came back. I'm surprised the Patriots, the cheap Patriots, gave them that amount of money. I was surprised at that. That's how I was surprised about. Well, the so, Patriots are known for. <clears throat> Asking players to take pay cuts, mm-hmm. so they could, you know, they don't like to stack too high a salary at any one particular player, any one particular position. Like they wouldn't be in the market for Tyree Kill to pay the type no. of money the Dolphins paid. That's not the Patriot way. The Patriot ways to disperse it much lower salaries for few players rather than the one star. They don't really go in the star system. Listen, Tom Brady obviously obviously was a major star, but he always took pay cuts because he could afford to, because his wife was making reportedly more money than he was. If you have a situation like that, take the pay cuts. But if you look at Tom Brady's receivers, traditionally guys like Edelman, Wes Welker, they weren't paid enormous money. And when he had Randy Moss, Randy Moss was on the rebound, so he wasn't getting paid enormous money. Yeah, but they would never go after. I agree. They would never go after a guy like Tyree Hill and pay him that type of money. Patriots, that's how the Patriots work, Jack. Troy Brown. Yeah. Is a, Troy Brown. I mean, you could go all the way back. That's not how the Patriots work. So, uh, but they still won. And you and you and Brady's wife. I think Brady, even though he wasn't making the full amount, he was still pretty paid pretty handsomely for being a the Patriots starting quarterback so well you know what also because brady would take less money so when the patriots would sign another player the player would always be told you can't be making more money than tom brady and they'd show them what brady made and they all understood well if tom's getting this if i want to play for new england i know what my place is brady basically set the market for the new england patriot team for what the other guys could get paid well, he did that and went to what is nine Super Bowls because of that, uh, getting those extra players to play around him. So there you go. So it worked out for him. So let's get the NBA real quick, Jack. Um, some interesting games. Uh, I get you the uh, the the, uh, the standings real quick. The Heat, um, you know, they 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 lost or the first they lost, and 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 Butler kind of gave it to his team. Seventy Sixers held off the. Uh, LeBron James, uh, less Lakers as they won. The Celtics keep beating playoff teams as they beat the Jazz. They're in fourth. The Bulls are in fifth. Cleveland is holding the sixth spot. The Suns clinched the playoff. They're 59 and 14. The Grizzlies without Moran, uh, they beat the, the Nets. They're in they're in second right now, uh, followed by the Warriors. The Jazz, who lost to the Celtics, are right now in fourth. And Dallas. And the Nuggets with the Timberwolves uh, nipping at their heels. I think they're tied right now. And and the Nuggets have a percentage uh, lead over them right now. So anything that stood out surprised you last, last well, night? Well, last night the big news was Haslam and Butler in the huddle were going at it, okay, a bit, you know. And they were, it looked like they might fight briefly. And Eric Spolstra, the Miami Heat coach, seemed to be on Haslam's side. So once again, the adventures of Jimmy Butler. I mean, he was with the Chicago Bulls 
And then he moved to the, you know, the Timberwolves, the Sixers, the Heat are his fourth team. When you're as good as Jimmy Butler, you shouldn't be on the verge of going to your fifth team. And maybe I shouldn't say he's on the verge, but you get the feeling if this is a problem, the uh, Miami Heat are going to move on from Butler in the offseason. And they'll have teams that are going to be willing to deal because obviously he's an impact player. But Haslam really got mad at him. Normally, coaches are going to back up their star player, which is Jimmy Butler. But it seems like Spolstra, like he slammed the clipboard. He had enough of the nonsense. And this is the same Jimmy Butler when he tried to, you know, force a trade from from the Timberwolves. He just wouldn't show up to practice. And we'd have this adventure, this drama. And now we're getting it a little again because the Heat, who seem to have the number one seed in the East locked up, only a game and a half up, and they lose to Golden, the Golden State Warriors. Golden State Warriors without Steph Curry. Golden, the same Golden State who the game before lost to the Orlando Magic, who are one of the worst teams in the NBA, yet they beat the Miami Heat. So that's some real, you know, drama going on in Miami. We're going to see what unfolds over there. But I will say this, and this is what I like about the organization. Eric Spolstra is in solid as the head coach. Pat Riley has his back. I really like that, that he's Pat Riley's guy. And in other situations, teams back the players. They'll get rid of the coach, but not in this situation. The coach is the star in this situation. And I kind of like the attitude of the Heat organization in that regard. Me too, Jack. Me too. I'll tell you something else that stuck out to me, Mac, with the standings. This is unbelievable. You know the Knicks and Lakers have the same identical record, 31 wins, 42 losses. If I told you, Mac, at this point in the season – the Knicks and Lakers would have the same record. You'd say, oh, the Knicks in the top six or this or that. But it just shows you how the Lakers have fallen with the chemistry. They're same record as the Knicks. But the difference is the Knicks aren't even going to make the play-in position. But because the West is a little weaker, at least the Lakers have thrown a lifeline. They'll be given that one-game playoff. And if they somehow win it, then they advance to a longer series, even though I don't think they'll do anything with that. You know what LeBron said the other day? Regardless of the record, he's having fun playing basketball, and that's it. And I will credit LeBron James with this, his mindset, if what he's saying is true. When you're a kid, Mac, you play basketball for love again, right? You see all these kids and adults in the park playing basketball. Why are they playing in the park? They're playing for love of game. So LeBron's mindset is maybe I'm not thinking as much about winning as I'm thinking about just having fun playing the game. And that's the best, that's the best attitude he could take at this point because the Lakers really aren't going far. Plus LeBron is aware of his place in history he moved to third on the all-time scoring list. I mean, uh, a second on the list, I'm sorry, behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And he's taking aim at the all-time scoring record and other records because he knows for his legacy, his ultimate legacy, if he's going to stake a claim as the greatest of all time, 
It's not going to be on how he compared to Michael Jordan one-on-one, Mac. It would be to point to stats at the end when his career is over. So I think that's what he's taking aim on, and you can't blame him for that. Well, we'll see, Jack. I don't think he'll ever get rid of that Jordan comparison. But that's all I got to say about the other information in the NFL. Folks, we're going to be right back after these messages, and we'll be welcoming Evan Korn, who will be on the other side, uh, to talk about top-ranked promotions, boxing promotions. So stick with us. We'll be right back after these messages. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. But your aching head and stomach here, this message from Old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, this, this. Oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Oh, speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headache fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer Gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. When you hear the word asthma, you probably think of shortness of breath, coughing, or inhalers. Lots of things can trigger asthma, but the fact is that asthma doesn't just attack, it can kill. But with proper medical management, asthma is controllable. If you experience shortness of breath, wheezing, tightness in your chest, or persistent nighttime coughing, you may have asthma. See your doctor and get the facts. You'll breathe easier. For more information, call 211-INFO-LINE. A message from the Connecticut Department of Public Health. Keeping Connecticut healthy. I mean, you can see right now, without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboy fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, team. I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm from Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Grandma, what's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma? This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family, and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you, too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station.
Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show. We're on live 8 to 10, Thursday through Sunday, live on YouTube, Roku TV, and Facebook. Uh, informative show so far. We've got a lot of uh, a lot of stuff we covered. I want to throw this up one more time just so everybody sees it. Uh, we all know Baker Mayfield uh, pretty much is out of a job. And Jack? Well, he's, officially he's still with Cleveland. Uh, yeah, he's gone, Jack. He's gone. Him sticking, but. He's gone. I mean, they got the backup quarterback. He's gone. It's a question uh, of when, when. Yeah, you know, I, real quick before we have uh, Evan come on, um, what do you think? Where's he going? I mean, is there any spot for him in the NFL anymore, Jack? Second well, Matt, that's on our debate show on Saturday. That's one of the no. questions with Baker Mayfield. Is he ever going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL again? And I don't mean start a game if someone gets injured. Obviously, he can get a spot somewhere as a backup. But will yeah, he ever be named a team starting quarterback for a season? I'm not yeah, talking about coming in because of an injury or circumstance. Will a team ever have faith in him and say, Baker Mayfield's our guy? Is there a spot for him somewhere? Know, we see it happening. Be, it'll be a fun debate. Um, yeah. Um, we, uh, we, of course, have uh, Evan Korn coming up here uh, doing in another few minutes. Let's get a little boxing flavor going, Jack. Um <clears throat> Man, you're not even waiting for Evan. He's going to have to well, join well, the well, race well, in progress, Matt. Well, Come well, on, well, Evan knows we'll his have, stuff. We'll have separate questions for Evan. I just want to get a little boxing flavor here. Any matches, uh, recent matches, uh, that surprised you or that you thought would end in a different way? I mean, there's been a few, uh, you know, this this month so far. Um, any of those that surprised you that you, you didn't expect uh, – person to win or you didn't expect them to uh you know to uh have such a bad showing i mean is there any 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 fights that you could talk about right now that that fall into that category uh nothing that pops into my head i mean last weekend uh the big talk i, I you know was edgar belanga i mean edgar belanga fights for top rank i mean i talked about him on glove fist it would be something I would want to talk with Evan about because Top Rank is promoting him and they have big plans for him. And we could have different viewpoints, but I can understand all viewpoints on him. He fought Steve Rose, a competent veteran who's only lost before was the Gennady Golovkin. I mean, they sold out the Hulu Theater, Madison Square Garden, small arena. Ed, Edgar Belanga did get the win. And at the end of the day, you know, you could say the name of the game is winning, but you also want to create a buzz. Edgar Belanger created a buzz in the sense that he did sell out the Hulu Theater, no small, you know, feat in New York. But, you know, he, he won on points. And Edgar Belanger won his first 16 fights of his pro career, all of them in the first round. That's why he created the buzz. He's a charismatic kid. You know, a good kid who we want good things to come, you know, good things to happen for. And they're coming back with him, from what I understand, in June again. But uh, at what point are they going to step up in competition? What's the blueprint for Edgar Belanga? That's something we really should discuss with Evan Korn. I mean, this weekend, Tim Zhu, Costa Zhu's son, 
is making his uh, United States debut. It's going to be in Minneapolis, of all places. So we're going to want to see, you know, how he does with that. And uh, one of the fighters, Alexander Yusik, who is, uh, you know, affiliate, yeah, who's affiliated, who fights, you know, I believe, yeah, with top rank, he's got, he is going to be leaving Ukraine to prepare for the Anthony Joshua fight. And Yusik is allowed to by law, because if you have three or more kids, you're allowed to leave Ukraine. I mean, it's not like they're giving you permission, it's law. Right, right, right. He is, you know, so he's going to be, Going into training for like an Anthony Joshua fight. I mean, the law is vague there because Vasily Lomachenko has two kids he's promoted by top rank. And he's, you know, by law, it's a little different in his situation. So, so let's go back to, 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 to the fight where you say, you know, he won by points. And, you know, I hear you and, and Frank talk about this a lot. Oh, it wasn't it wasn't the, the uh, showing you wanted, but hasn't all great fighters had tough fights where even Muhammad Ali, I mean, he's outpointed people and he hasn't, you know, dominated. Mike Tyson, uh, for the most part, has has dominated when he won, but the fights that, you know, yeah, I mean, isn't it doesn't you say a win is a win, but isn't that so? I mean, Ken Norton. Uh, Frazier. I mean, some of the greatest fighters in the in the in in the history well, of boxing. Point, Matt, in 1963, two fights before Muhammad Ali, then Cassius Clay said, "Sonny, listen, he fought Doug Jones at Madison Square Garden, and Ali just squeaked through. Two of the scorecards on a rounds basis were five rounds for Ali, four for Jones, one even." So right. he came close on the scorecards to losing that fight. Imagine how that would have altered history. So in that sense, right, even great fighters are given major scarce. Look, Joe Frazier on the way up at the same stage as Edgar Belanga got knocked down twice by Oscar Bonavina early in the fight. They had a three-knockdown rule. He barely got by. I think it was the second round. Imagine Bonavina dropped him a third round as Frazier was just barely surviving. What that would have done for boxing history had Bonavina stopped him in the second you wouldn't have gotten the first Ali Frazier fight as the fight of the century that we know the greatest event in boxing history. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, great champions barely survive, you know. It seems a lot of their early going fights, they, they're given yeah. a big scam. I, I think I think you and Frank are hard on a lot of the fighters uh, that – you know, that, that come through and they say, oh, you didn't stop him. I'm just... not as high on Edgar Belanga. I'm, I'm sorry. I hate saying it with Evan Korn coming on. Oh, Good Evan Korn is listening. I hope I am wrong. I Evan... hope I'm wrong. But he got the win. They'll promote him. Right, right. People will turn out. That's the big thing, okay? Evan Korn is backstage right by. now. And I'll be watching Edgar Belanga. And I'll be rooting for Edgar Belanga. <laughs> I might not feel he's the next Felix Trinidad. But I'll be rooting from the beast. That's so. beautiful. So without further ado, folks, let's bring in our special guest today. Top ranking, top ranked boxing promotions PR executive, Evan Korn, uh, working for the, the top ranked promotions, the best in the in, in the world. So let's bring up Evan and see how you do. How you doing today, Evan? 
I'm great. How are you, executive? I appreciate the appreciate the. Yeah, I, I never called me that before, but I'll tell Evan, you. I hope I don't get my credentials pulled for future Edgar Belanger fight. We'll, 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 we'll see. We'll see. How I goes. mean, all of a sudden, I'm going to be, you know, all the way sitting in the last row. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. I loved it. It was great, uh, Jack. No, it's, uh, uh, it was certainly, uh, you know, certainly a tough fight. You know. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and they all go through, doesn't every great fighter go through tough fights? Everybody wants everybody to stop everybody. Listen. Well, you know, listen, I mean, I mean you're right. Every great fighter from Ali to Robinson on up has had tough fights on the way up. Uh, you sure. know, obviously, you know, it remains to be seen how far Edgar Berlanga goes. You know, jury's still out, just like with, with any young fighter. So, sure. you know, it was it was a tough fight. Um yeah, I think the expectations were probably too high after going 16 and over 16 first round knockouts. And I know the kid wanted tougher fights and he's, he's getting tougher fights. So that'll only be good for his development. Um, you know, I think at some point, at some point the fans are going, are going to want to see him knock out fighters on the level of a, of a Steve Rolls or Demond Nicholson, um, you know, or, or Coceres or the last three guys that he, Went to the uh, went to distance with so at some point he's gonna have to start knocking some of these guys out if, if he's gonna fulfill that potential. But again, he's 23, 24 years old, so there's a lot of time. Yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. He's supposed to come back. Correct me if I'm wrong. The top rank is bringing him back them to fight in New York again June 11th. But if that's the case, isn't Arda better be who top rank promotes? Supposed to be fighting Joe Smith on June 18th. At least that's the word. Correct me if I'm yeah, wrong. Yeah, no, that's that's te- the tentative. That's uh, a week apart only. I mean, that, yeah. that that would be great for boxing if you have. No, no, we're coming to New York twice. That's the plan is to do do the do New York consecutive weekends and yeah. So right, that's, that's the plan. So Evan, let me get let me get to you now. I mean, what got you? I love asking all our guests, and we do have a lot of boxing guests and boxers and and writers and so. What drew you to becoming, uh, getting involved in top rank and becoming, uh, you know, in their promotions department? Uh, what led you to that choice? I mean, well, that's a long, long question. I mean, I, you know, just to, uh, to bridge it, I've been to boxing as long as I can remember. Um, I was a journalist, professional journalist for about six years after college. I gave that up, um, got a PR job in Las Vegas, and then three years into working at, you know, I was working for a couple agencies out here and. And then uh, Brad Jacobs, our COO, um, reached out to me, and that's how that's how it happens. Really, you know, it's sort of a, a combination of dumb luck and you know, and circumstance. And I guess I I pressed them enough to, to get the job, and that's really that's really how it started about four years ago. Well, you know, your new job doesn't allow you to do what you used to do. Great, and I love the Max Boxing. I don't know what they in business or not now, uh, but you used to do previews for them of fights and i used to love reading your previews your analysis it was really like good good stuff yeah no you know it's um obviously you know the good thing is with our partnership with espn you have sort of you have espn's resources and you know the the shoulder programming that top rank produces and that espn broadcast has been great um you know and we've been again i think we're about four four and a half years almost five years almost five years into our, our our partnership with espn so you know, to have, you know, I don't think there's any other outlet in America. Well, I know there's no other outlet in America that has uh, more consistent programming available to uh, such a wide audience because all of our fights that are on ESPN also simulcast on ESPN Plus. So, you know, if you're a cord cutter, 
you can watch all, all of our fights. And if you still have traditional cable, you can watch most of our fights. And then, you know, uh, some of our events are exclusive to ESM Plus. But yeah, no other promotion can match the accessibility that that, that top rank boxing's had right now. Um, you know, I know, you know a couple of the uh, big four, uh, one of the big four networks, but they're not broadcasting as much boxing as they used to, um, especially this year. So yeah, no, it's been a great partnership and it's helped build the profile of guys like uh, Berlanga and Tifima Lopez and uh, Vasily Lomachenko and especially Tyson Fury as I think his, you know, his name recognition, especially in the United States is, you know, gone up exponentially uh, since he signed a deal with ESPN. So yeah, it's been a great partnership and uh, it's, it's nice when boxing's available, you know, to the people that are just, you know, hanging I, out. I met Tyson Fury before when I said you sick with top rank, you know, right. I had to, yeah, yeah. I just wasn't thinking that. That's, moment. That, uh, that's, but, that's okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Tiafimo Lopez, he loses to George Cambosis. Okay. And what's going to be with Tiafimo? We haven't had any of an announcement of his comeback fight, okay? It was a surprise he lost to Cambosis, but Tiafimo still can be one of the biggest names in boxing. He's charismatic, and he's a heck of a fighter besides. I mean, what's on the horizon for Tiafimo Lopez? You know, he's dealing with a couple of injuries uh, right now physically that he has to get taken care of, so... That, you know, that has to, he has to get a you know, full bill of health. And then hopefully by the summertime or give or take, he's back. But again, he's got to worry about his physical health, his mental health. And, and then, he'll, then he'll be back into the ring, you know. Well, he's so, moving and, up. To and not, to, and not yeah. to mention the, the Cambosis fight was, was a tough fight for both guys. You know, it was a grueling, you know, because of the, the, sort of the shocking nature of the upset. People are sort of forgetting or, 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 or not remembering that it was, you know, if it not if not a fight of the year, a fight of the year, uh, honorable mention type fight that that takes a lot out of fighters. What's well, so. on the ballot for the Boxing Writers Association? Yeah, exactly. America, one of the yeah. top five fights of the year, and who knows where to wind up? You know, in the voting, perfect fight for Tiafimo. He's moving up to junior welterweight. Uh, since yeah. Top Rank is doing business with Joe DeGuardia and the Better Beef Joe Smith fight. You have Cletus Selden, perfect fight for Tiafimo in New York. The Hebrew Hammer. Um, yeah, no, I'll uh, yeah, listen. I pre I'm from Long Island, and I like Cletus, so uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if we're going in that direction, but may, I mean, who knows? I don't know. Maybe, maybe somebody above me. I personally think Tiafimo blitzes Selden early. Just my opinion, but they, listen, so then why is Selden so then how, so then how it's a great opportunity for Selden. It's a great. He Stop. deserves a big opportunity. Him, Tiafimo at the Garden. I love Stop. it. Do not undersell Cletus. Do not undersell Cletus. It's a tough guy who, who who will take anybody out. I mean, I love the kid. I've had him on the show before. He's a great kid, and he's got some power, too. So I would love to see him and Lopez go at it. I would love I got to tell you. I, listen, you if it happens, yeah. if it happens good, good for Cletus, I'm not sure that that's the yeah. direction uh, direction we're going in. And, you know, if you're talking about, you know, what, what Mark, you're talking about deserves it. I mean, please run me through the. Marky wins. Uh, and it, I mean, and, and this goes for any, 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 any host of guys, like very few guys, you know, it's not, it's you know, not the old days where guys are fighting five, six times a year. And it's not Marvin Hagler earning a shot at the middleweight title here, guys. Like, you know, it, it's yeah. Yeah. You know, listen, but, listen, but, but listen, listen, I let, listen, he, no matter what, no matter, no matter what fight he's in, he, Cletus Elden makes for great fights. And 
as a boxing fan, regardless of who it's against, I, I hope to see him back. But yeah, yeah we'll see. Me too. And 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 you're I know you're oh, by the way, you're saying you're saying you would blitz Cletus up now there in uh, no no I would pick TFT. How no. how is that good for our ESPN? Right. It's an exciting it? fight. Selden comes to fight. He'll come right to Tiafimo. And if Tiafimo has gotta get his career back on track, a sensational knockout, that would be the way to do it. And Selden comes to fight. And listen, if if Tiafimo doesn't get it done against Selden. Selden would be getting a big opportunity. It would be good for him. I got to tell you this. Uh, uh, I don't know whether you know or not. Mac is the biggest Joe Smith booster. And mm -hmm. we've had John Scully as a regular talking boxing, and he's better beef's assistant trainer there. And even Mac has basically told Scully he's picking Joe Smith to beat better beef. I got to tell you, Mac is. Yes. I got to tell that's, you that. That's, that's not crazy. I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, you know, with Joe, with, with Joe, he, you know, he had he had a real bad, he had a bad case, well documented bad case of COVID, and and then, um, you know, well he had he had the Maxim Vlasov fight was supposed to be February in the bubble. Uh, he finds out that or February twenty twenty one in the bubble, he finds out literally as he's walking down to the way in that Vlasov tested positive. So he's getting ready to walk down to the way in fight gets canceled. Comes back against Vlasov two months later. Um, so you know to to, to stop a training camp and start it. Didn't look his best, you know. I thought again. I thought it was a fight I had to draw, but I could probably, you know, a lot of people are Joe winning, wins the title um, against Vlasov. Then he gets a really bad case of, uh, then he gets a really bad case of COVID, and you know is out for nine months, and then fights Kafrard and is not again doesn't look his best. So now he's now he's coming into better be a fight coming off only five months, but. You know, you'd figure more, you know, more recovered from whatever after effects that COVID had. Um, so to put it, you know, to put it, you know, you're going to see the best version of Joe Smith you've seen uh, since he knocked out a later Alvarez uh, in August 2020. So I think a lot of people are underestimating Joe because of his last two performances not being sort of vintage Joe Smith. But um, you know, I don't think you know, if you pick Joe Smith over Better Be, I don't think you're crazy. I mean, remember, Better Be is 37. Um, again, we don't know at what point does age catch up to a guy. It might not even be an age thing. I mean, it better be if, as Shoney, Shoney can be hurt too, like most fighters. I mean, Callum Johnson had him on the ground. So, you know, I, I, I don't think it's um, out of the realm of possibility or crazy at all to say that, that Joe Smith has a shot in that fight. I'll tell you right now, that will be an action-packed fight. There's no doubt about that. I, I am looking forward to that. That's for sure. Better be it is a beast, and Joe Smith doesn't play. So that's going to be that's going to be one of the most fun uh, matches I've I've watched in a long time. Let me let me talk to you a little bit about Bob. I, I've interviewed. I was lucky enough to interview Bob Arum uh, a, a while back on a different show, and of course he's getting up there in age a little bit. And what is what kind of uh, what kind of contact do you have with Bob? Is he is he a, is he a taskmaster? Does he let you do your thing? Um, is 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 he still as involved as he was a few years back? You know, he's still as involved as he was when I started at the company. So I can't speak to you know I'm, what Bob was like in the '90s or early 2000s or '80s or anything. But he's still very much involved. But I think you know what makes Bob great is he's, he's a great delegator. So he you know there's a, there's a you know, there's a corporate structure and, and, and Todd DeBuff, our president, handles a lot of, you know, the ESPN stuff. And you have you have uh, Brad Jacobs, our COO, 
just all the operational stuff he's in charge of. And Carl Moretti is our VP. So he deals with a lot of, you know, Carl and, and Brad Goodman and Bruce Trampler deal with a lot of the match with, you know, with the matchmaking. Well, Brad Goodman, especially, but Carl handles a lot of the, a lot of the boxing stuff, the business stuff and the boxing end. So there's a real corporate structure there. And so Bob um, hires people that he trusts and empowers them um, to do what's in the best interest of the company. Uh, but when it comes to like the big, when it comes to the big decisions and, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the things that have the, the biggest economic impact on the company, Bob is just as involved as I've ever seen him. So he's, he's a marvel, you know, at, the, at this age, um, he travels to most of the fights. He was in London last month to meet with Tyson Fury and Frank Warren before the white fight was signed. So, I mean, he's, 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 you know, but now that the pandemic has slowed down a little bit, he's back to traveling, traveling internationally. I mean, he's, he'll be in London for the Fury fight. He's, he, he's, he's not, he's not, a, he's not just a figurehead. Let's, let's put it that way. You know, he's, he's in the, when, when, you know, when he, when he's in Las Vegas, which is about 70% of the year, he's in the office every day. Yeah, that's and he's still the he's still the face of the company, Bob. Aram. One thousand percent. You know, you know what I enjoy a lot that King and Aram used to be the two big names butting heads. These guys in their nineties and they're still relevant. I mean, I love it that King just won a purse pick. So he's making a come a kind of mini comeback in his nineties. And where I used to hate, where I would hear a fighter say he was ripped off by King, you hear it now. That King could be raising a little hell now. I get a kick out of it now. I mean, and it's good that Aram and King, they had such a poisonous relationship. They actually actually cordial and would do and Bob would do business with King now if he had to. Well, the past is the past, and I kind of get a kick out of that. Yeah, the thing I most one of the things I most admire about Bob is he like, will never take anything personally. You can say whatever, like rivals can say whatever they want about Bob. But if there's a fight to be made, he won't hold it against them. He's like, all right, if there's money to be made, if there's a fight to be made, Bob will make the fight or at least attempt to make the fight. Um, and I think with him and Don, there's always, you know, and they've said this in interviews in the last few years, there's always, there's always a respect there, you know, with the, obviously they, they both went about their business sort of into to diametrically opposed ways. I mean, Don, Don has more of a, and this, this is not a right or wrong thing. Don has more of a Dana White approach, which is like his, he would make himself like bigger than the brand, right? right. You know, he, you know, it was Don was the star of the show and, you know, and, you know, and obviously there's cases like Ali and Tyson where they, they eclipse Don King, but Don King was, was the show. Bob, you know, was, was obviously relevant and, and, and well-known, but, you know, he, he was, his focus was more on promoting the, the, the fighters. Um, and they both had success doing it the way that they did it. Um, but yeah, they would still do business today and, you know, but but even even at their most vitriolic, when when there was a fight that had to be made, um, they you know, bet with between guys in, in their stables, um, Bob and Don would. Well, make that could be a lesson to today's, you know, some of the other promoters that is as hostile as times as the Aaron King relationship was way in the past. You talk about the 70s, the 80s. They did business when they had to do it. They would make fights, I mean, and, and they would actually get it done. You know, a hot-button topic, uh, Terrence Crawford, he was with Top Rank basically his whole career. And I think Top Rank did very well by him. He left Top Rank. He's suing it. He's accusing Bob Arum of being a racist. Listen, Arum's a racist in the sense he loves green. It's green. 
That's the color that he favors. That's the far and away. And I think Top Rank did well by Terrence Crawford. But listen, since Terrence Crawford became a free agent, he hasn't signed elsewhere. The other promoters aren't coming out of the woodwork because they basically are saying they can't do any more for him that Top Rank did. Is the possibility with of a reunion with Terrence Crawford or what? Uh, what well, listen, the only on? thing I can say is like, you know, there's, you know, I, I won't comment much on it other than, you know, it's an ongoing legal situation. Um, you know, yeah, we're top ranked promoted Terrence for most of his career, I think um, about a decade or so. Um, and I'd say 20, 22, 23 of his pro fights were under the top ranked yeah. banner. And uh, he, he, you know, uh, professionally, you know, and he made a lot of money and won a lot of titles under the top ranked banner. Yeah, he, he did really well with top rank. Let me ask you a question, Evan, about what Jack was talking. You know, it seems you've got the big, you know, the, the big uh, promotion companies that always seem to be holding their fighters back a lot, right? You, you, Eddie DeGuardio, uh, sorry, Joe DeGuardio, works with you guys pretty well. He'll work with a lot of people. But you got Eddie Hearn and you got Golden Boy, and, and it seems that, you know, that, that they try to protect their fighters and keep them within their stables. They really don't want to make the big fights like happened a long time ago. Does it get frustrating uh, uh, for for another promotion, uh, boxing promotion company like yourselves, when you know this fight would probably uh, uh, be a huge moneymaker that would make, uh, um, you know, that would make almost history in boxing? And these guys are are not gonna they're not gonna let their fighter others. I, I disagree with that statement. I mean, I think you mentioned uh, uh, Matchroom and Golden Boy. I mean, Golden Boy is a company. You know, um, I give Robert Diaz or Matchmaker a lot of credit. And you know, he he matches his guys tough. It's you know, it's sink or swim. He doesn't you know he doesn't baby the pro- his prospects. I mean, uh, match you know, and when it comes to making it, you know, and Matchroom is the same way. And and when it comes to you know. They put Raven Ford in a very tough fight a few weeks back against Edward Vasquez. Most people thought he lost. Um, you know, they, they put their guys in tough too. And, and you know, and, you know, and uh, top ranks approaches, you know, it's, you know, like with Xander's eyes, like Quincy last week's opponent was the perfect step up. And, you know, he was the toughest guy he ever fought. And it's about building up the ladder. And I think, you know, when it comes to tough fights and whatever, I mean, we've done plenty of fights with Matt since, since I've been there. You know, we, we uh, did Lomachenko against Luke Campbell. Um, Jose, they, we they, we brought Jose Ramirez to the zone to fight uh, Marie Sucker. Um, so we've done a lot of business with Matchroom over the last uh, few years. Um, a lot of business with Golden Boy as well. You know, Joe Gonzalez uh, fought two for title fights on top rank cards, and now he's okay. actually signed. Well, they're rank. not really doing business with Matchroom, even though maybe indirectly you are with the Tyson Fury Dillian White fight. Dillian White's a Matchroom fighter, but it is a not really rank slash Eddie. Frank Warren, you know, promotions. The top rank is very involved with the Tyson Fury fight. All, by all accounts, Dillian White isn't cooperating in the promotion, okay, of that fight by doing interviews, going to the press conference. Well, I mean, it's not by all accounts. He, he ha- I mean, he hasn't. I mean, that's just, the, the, that's as of now, he, he has not. But, you know, there's the fights. The most important thing is the fights April 23rd. And that there'll be about 100,000 people at Wembley Stadium. And the most important thing is that Dillian White is in the ring on April 23rd. And, um, you know, I don't know what the contract he says. I don't have access to that. But whatever he's contractually obligated to do, I hope he does. And, um, 
and I hope he's in the ring. I, I, have no, I have no doubts that he will be in the ring April 23rd at Wembley Stadium. You know, but as as of now, no, he, he didn't come to the press conference. But uh, all that all that served to do was show the star power Tyson Fury, who is able to sell out his country's national football stadium, soccer, um, in a few hours. And he sold 90,000 tickets. So we didn't need Dillian White at the press conference to help sell 90,000 tickets. And it goes to show you that, you know, that Fury has become, well, he's, he's one of the biggest names in world boxing, but he's now um, the biggest name in uh, British boxing as well. You know, so Lomachenko, Vasily Lomachenko has been with top rank his whole career. Right. The situation now, a very sensitive situation being in Ukraine under normal circumstances. He would have been fighting George Cambosis in Australia for all the lightweight, you know, belts. And uh, I think Lomachenko would have defeated Cambosis. But at the very least, that's put on hold right now. Does top rank have any communication with Lomachenko. I'm sure they do. And it's a very sensitive. Well, it's all done, you know, um, that's like with, with Bob and Todd, that's the communication is done through his manager, um, Agus Klimas. And I think, you know, any, you know, obviously we, we, we hope he's safe and that he, and that, and and he continues to be so, but there's obviously bigger issues at play and, you know, and, and, and Agus would, Agus Klimas is the person best uh, equipped to answer any questions about, what Vasily's doing and where he is, but um, you know he's, as far as I know, you know, safe right now. And um, you know, we're just just thinking about him and everybody in, in Ukraine. It's it's pretty it's a pretty unprecedented situation. That's that, that that's for sure. One more question, Evan, before we let you go because we're running out of time on the show. What was your your best or your funnest promotion? I mean, what 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 really stands above the rest to you? That in that terms of my time at Top Rank. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, I think to the, the two ones would be um, Lomachenko Lopez. I think that was, a, I think, the, uh, just it was a very well-promoted fight. Um, the way we promoted Tiafimo coming up, um, combined with having Vasily's entire career, the way ESPN marketed it. I just, uh, we did, it. we did our, I think our second best rating in the five years since we've come back to ESPN. Um, I just think, I just think everything hit on that promotion. Unfortunately, it had to be behind closed doors, so... We couldn't have sold the twelve to fifteen thousand tickets that we would have um, had it been, you know, in a pre-pandemic era. So that one was fun, um, and, and those were two guys. You know, Lomachenko was a champion when I joined Top Rank. TPMO was like four and zero, so it was two guys that I've known very well. One coming through the ranks, and one as you know, the, the best pound for pound fighter in the world. I'm um, in the second one. Um, I say the the start, you know, the, the Tyson Fury fights, starting with Tom Schwartz and Otto Wallen. And then going to the two wilder fights, you know, yeah. I remember when we signed Tyson, it was like, it was probably the biggest trade seeker I've ever had to hold on to because nobody, I mean, nobody broke that story. There was no, Coppinger didn't have sources on that. Dan Rayfield with ESPN.com at the time didn't have it. And uh, I remember uh, it was, you know, we had to keep it super, super quiet. Very few people knew about it. And then we announced the signing and it, it, it was, it was just like the biggest shock in the boxing industry. I had reporters tell me that they thought when they saw it come through their inbox from my press release that it was like spam or something. They were like, what? So just the whole journey of signing Tyson Fury, which was a shock because everybody expected him to go straight to the Wilder rematch at the time. Everybody was, you know, that the, the, the scuttlebutt was they're going to announce that signing and any second. And then we come through with that and he fights twice under the top ranking ESPN banner, which served to make that rematch much bigger um, than it would have. Uh, so, so top ranking, top ranking ESPN's journey with Tyson Fury and, 
um, and promoting him. I mean, I don't think I'll ever have another highlight like that in my career. I mean, he's so unique, so one of a kind. And um, what you see from him publicly is the same guy privately. He's he's out of his mind, and but charismatic in, in all the best ways. Yeah, I mean, that, and what a fight that second fight was with Wilder. I mean, two guys that just went at it. You don't see fights like that too much anymore where they're, they're two guys that are willing to lay it all on the line. And then what a fight that was. That, that to me, was a fight of the year. And uh, yeah. incredible, incredible fight. So, Evan, I want to thank you for coming in and sharing some time with us. Um, we appreciate when we get, you know, people on the inside that can tell us things about boxing that we really don't don't think about right we watch the fight we see the two guys go at it but to make this fight happen takes a lot a lot of work a lot of a lot of promotion a lot of work behind closed doors and when we get somebody that's uh from a great organization like you and a, and a great pr guy like you come on we're really thankful so i want to thank you for coming in evan no thank you for having me guys i had fun thanks a lot okay. evan. you have a great day my friend. so there you go folks evan corn pr executive as i put it as uh, top rank, uh, hey, still the greatest, the greatest boxing promotion uh, in the world, Jack. Yeah, guys like Evan do a great job accommodating the media, and also they have to know how to deflect negativity. If there's a certain negativity about a, a fighter who's promoted by top rank, it's Evan's job to handle it, and he has, and he's done a good job doing that. You know, in the past, present, and I'm sure in the future as well. Well, folks, thanks for joining on the Mac and Jack Sports Show today. Tomorrow we'll be back on with guests Byron Williams, Keith Angle, and the Philly Sports Guy as we continue bringing you the best stories and updates in sports. Have a great Thursday, folks. We'll see you tomorrow morning.